Why would you look outside yourself when you have all of the world inside? One, two, three, four. This is the Prying Priest Podcast, and I'm Father Yuri Hladio. You're listening to the first half of an unedited interview about the personal stories of amazing people and why they have come to believe what they do. The second half of these interviews are reserved for patrons only. If you like this show, visit my website, pryingpriest.com, for more content and to learn how you can become a patron of the show. Enjoy the first half of this interview. Welcome, Austin Suggs, to the Prying Priest Podcast. Glad to be here. This is, uh, this is an exciting thing in that most of the guests that I've interviewed are people that I know personally, whereas you, I think we've been talking for about 60 seconds so far, and it's all I, been business. We're pretty much best friends already. Basically. I, I think we know each other. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, first of all, the way that we usually start the show is I ask my guests to introduce how they know me, <laughs> but... In that, in this situation, you don't really know me. I actually approached you for this interview. Um, but the second thing we do are little plugs, like where people can find you and all that kind of stuff. And I actually found you through your YouTube channel. So I'm hoping we could, right off the top, you could speak a little bit about the YouTube channel, and then we could take it from there. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I'll try to not make it a, a long commercial break here for your listeners. But I run a YouTube channel called Gospel Simplicity, where I get to talk to people from across uh, the Christian tradition about things that unite and divide us. And that leads into a lot of conversations about historical theology, trying to understand where the church came from and make sense of where we're at and maybe get some grasp on where the church might be going. And yeah, so you can find me YouTube gospel simplicity. I'm on Instagram and the other things you can find links for all that on my website, which is just gospel simplicity.com. But that's me. Yeah. I, I find that there's, we, we have a similar approach in that we want to bring people from a wide variety of perspectives. Um, but where I think we differ is that um, this show really explores why, uh, what are the interpersonal reasons why somebody believes something, right? So um, not so much the, uh, the theology of the, the church and things like that, which are obviously very important. But what I'm interested in this podcast today is to ask you, Austin, about your life and like things that have formed you, Right. So, I mean, maybe we could start there. Uh, you seem to be a Christian. Is that true? And, you know, in what kind of Christian upbringing were you brought up? Yeah, I, I certainly like to think it's true. <laughs> no, yes, uh, I am a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home, whatever I guess that term means. But uh, my, both my parents are Christians. And I actually went to a Christian school for some of my upbringing from about kindergarten through seventh grade. So I've got those nice sheltered uh, Christian school memories as well. And then I switched to public school after that. But my mom was on staff at a church growing up. So a lot of my uh, early years were spent running around the church, uh, weeknights, weekends, all of the above. And it was a non-denominational church around... um, I don't know, in the time I was there, like fifteen to 1,500 to 2,000 people. And my mom was the creative director there. So I kind of grew up in church sound booths and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of the upbringing there. I had not, it's kind of funny given what I do now, exploring different uh, Christian traditions. But I 
think by the time I was 18, I had maybe been to a Sunday service in a grand total of like three different churches in my whole life. Um, right. Every Sunday was at the same church. So yeah, it's uh, a bit different than what I do now. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned that your mom was the creative director. What does that mean in the context of church? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so it was kind of like your, I don't want to call it like standard mega church model, but essentially that. So it was quite a large production. So, I mean, if you were like looking at an org chart, she would have reported to the senior pastor and under her would have been like the worship leader. And so she was responsible for overseeing the Sunday morning experience uh, in the auditorium specifically. So when people come in from what's on the screens to who's running camera to the service flow, all of those things, if something's breaking, they're probably looking to her not to fix it, but to calm everyone down so that they can figure out what's next. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that, that was kind of her role there. Right. You mentioned that you grew up in sort of that, a little bit of like a sheltered Christian milieu. Um, uh, does that, how long was it before you started to interact with people that maybe didn't share preconceived notions that you had? Yeah, that's like, a great question. Go ahead. Like, do you remember uh, basically clashing with anybody or a moment in which somebody said something as if it was true and you were like, wait, wait, that's not what I, that's not what I believe. Hmm. These are all really good questions. And I feel like I'm going to have to think about some of them. So mm. on one level, I suppose I had been around people that wouldn't have claimed the title Christian from a pretty young age and that I grew up in um, the sprawling suburbs of DC and in one of the many neighborhoods that looks all, just like all the others. Um, but there was lots of kids in my neighborhood and I would say the DC area is pretty post-Christian in general. So of the, the neighborhood friends I had growing up, I don't think really any of them went to church consistently. There were some who might've been like culturally Catholic who would go Christmas and Easter, which I, I think that informed my view of Catholicism. Uh, as I look back on it, but as far, but for them, they weren't necessarily anti-Christian. It just wasn't something on their radar. They just didn't particularly care. I went to church. Cool for you. I don't go to church you now. Uh, that, and that's working for me. So, um, but the, the first time I ran into someone, I don't know, it might've been in high school. I remember we had this, I forget what you call it. It's like your home room essentially. Mm -hmm. And I remember there was a guy in that class who was, one of the first outspoken atheists I ever met. And he was of the uh, Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster variety, yep, if you've yep. ever heard of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it was the first, the, the atheists that I had grown up around were really just like apathetic towards the faith. But that was the first time I met someone who was out to say, not only do I not care, but I, I think it's bad and wrong. Uh, so that was probably the first. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I guess... Related to this is what are some of, I guess, your earliest memories of experiencing religion, right? Yeah. Or so, something you can point at being like, that was like a religious thing. Um, so, it, I mean, yeah, I'll leave it up to you how to interpret that. But yeah, when was the one of the earliest memories of experiencing religion? Yeah, so it's funny. Some of these are in that gray area of do I remember this or do I remember the pictures and, and people telling me of these stories? And this first one, I'm not sure I fully remember, but it's it's an, maybe an illustrative story. I, from a very young age, I was just very gripped 
by the story of the gospel. And I remember, or I remember being told, uh, my sister, who's two years older than me, she brought our family up to her room and she wanted to have a little concert for them. And uh, she sang Britney Spears for them all. And I mean, she's the big personality uh, mm-hmm. between the two of us. And then apparently like, I don't know, three, four-year-old Austin was like, hey, it's my turn. And I gave a terrible rendition of this little song I came up with of just like, Jesus is alive, believe. And at that point, we had only been going to church for like a month. And my parents were honestly like a little more freaked out than excited (laughs) about that. What are they teaching this child? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so I mean, that's part of it. And then probably the first that I actually remember was they gave me one of those uh, children's storybook Bibles. And I would just read it every night. I was a voracious reader just in general, always have been. Um, but I ended up actually like wearing the covers off of that just because I, I loved reading those Bible stories. And so those are probably some of the earliest memories for me. Yeah. And any Bible story in particular from that book? Oh, great question. I can remember a couple of the pictures. I remember what like David and Goliath looked like in that one. Mm. Um I remember, which is funny to look back because it's really not a children's story, uh, like the story of the flood. You know, I liked all the animals, but I look back on that and I question why we even, you know, <laughs> yeah. why that's the one we expose children to at a young age. But I remember yeah. uh, in, I was, I think, a teenager and I had found a kid's book in a church pew that the title of the book was Stories of God's Love. But if you opened up to like page six or whatever, it was the middle of the Noah's Ark story. And all it is, is a big scene of God destroying the world <laughs> yeah it's remarkable I, I guess because like there's animals in it we think it's cute like i, I remember yeah. growing up i had a little i had a blanket that i'd take with me everywhere that was like noah's ark themed mm-hmm. and looking back like i'm sleeping with this thing that's about the destruction of the world um but it had cute you know lions on it so i guess it worked yeah yeah um okay so here's a question we're talking about bible stories mm-hmm. um so, and we talked about, about the pictures too, and often the pictures, especially for young kids, are very af- effective in teaching the story. Mm. What do you think the role of, this will be a personal question, we'll start there and then we'll expand it. But for you, what has the role of Bible movies been? Like, have you, have you ever watched one? Do you watch all of them? Do you watch one in particular? Have you fallen in love with one and hated others? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So I imagine uh, formative in my early years was a, a healthy diet of veggie tales, mm-hmm. uh, a, a lot of that. And then was it, uh, Joseph, Prince of Dreams, I think mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so I remember those and, and watching those a good bit. And then, yeah, growing up in a Christian school, we'd watch Christian movies for class. And I, I think that film in general shapes us in a lot more ways than we often think. It's, it's actually been something that's been on my mind a bit lately. And so growing up in a Christian home and in a Christian school, that kind of shapes your social imaginary of like, these are the stories ruminating in your head. And I, I think it can be good when done well. Unfortunately, I feel like I also suffered through lots of just terribly like done Christian movies that would mm-hmm. not have passed for any audience other than evangelicals who just wanted to give their kids something. Um, but, I, you know, most recent, so I, I watched those when I was a kid and then kind of fell off of those for a while. Uh, but recently I got into the, the Chosen and I've enjoyed that. I think um, actually it was one of my first videos, I think, that ever crossed a thousand subscribers or a thousand views. It might have been my very first was a review of The Chosen, which is different than the kind of views I do, uh, videos I do now. 
But yeah, I, I think things like that are great and we have to put them in their proper place and they should be done thoughtfully. But I think they can be a, a powerful way of just gripping our imaginations. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we're going to change gears here a little bit. Okay, so in an age where so many young people are growing up, becoming adults, and just not having any interest in the gospel or faith or church or Christianity or Jesus, um, it's not that there's an antagonism with it. It's just that there seems to be an apathy or it's not really that important and there's no real social pressure to be a church-going person anymore for any reason. But you have grown up continuing to go to church and being interested in these things like church and the gospel story. What is it about you and your particular unique life that has led you down that path as opposed to the more popular um, mainstream path of just saying, yeah, you do whatever you want, but I just have no interest in it. Yeah, this is going to sound cliche and like a probably overly religious answer. But I, I, I think the first thing I would want to say about that is probably has a lot less to do with me and more to do with the grace of God. Because as I look back on my story, I mean, I did kind of walk away at one point and we can get into that. But I, I think ultimately what brought me back was just finding Jesus utterly compelling. And even when I was pushing away from the faith, when I, I never had anything against Jesus and uh, I, I had issues with the church and I had issues with different ideas, but there was something about the the life and ministry of Jesus that compelled me. And when I looked through all the different examples of what greatness is, I, I couldn't help but be um, just caught up in the the sense of the way that Jesus flipped upside down our categories of greatness, but in such a more meaningful way. And that was ultimately what brought me back. And I, I think that has a lot to do with what the church needs these days. I think there's, we've often looked at apologetics as a fight for the truth. And I, I think that's good. And I, I think there's a place for that. But I think that's not the question that's being asked as much by people who are apathetic. Uh, a question of is Christianity true kind of presupposes that I even care whether it's true. Um, and I think that might have been true in uh, generations past, but I think it's less true now. I think the question now um, that has to start like, to even get people in the doors. Is this good? Is this beautiful? Is this a better vision of life? And then is it true? You know, that, that question still matters, but I, I don't think we can lead with that as much. And maybe I think that too, because that's, that's what happened for me. I was caught up in the beauty of the gospel and the, uh, um, just the vision of life. And then went back in and started digging into those questions of, is it true? Uh, but yeah, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, no, that was great. And it, it's bringing to mind two questions. And now I have to pick which one I'm going to ask. <laughs> but um, okay, so one, uh, one, one of these questions is, so many people find value in Jesus, even beyond the church, mm. right? There, there are, well, we could put it this way. There are a lot of different Jesuses. Right. Um, there's, you know, almost everybody has a respect for Jesus and looks to him even as a teacher and things like that. He's a he's a sage or he's a, a wise prophet or whatever it might be. Um, so why, even though you have a reverence or that that person of Jesus kept calling to you, why 
did you not go for a version of Jesus that was not associated with the church? Like, why did you mm. end up with the church's version of Jesus? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, as I look back, I, I can see points on that journey where it would have been really easy to go down that road. And I kind of started down that road when I came back to the faith. I was first listening to people like Rob Bell and different people and a lot of ex-evangelicals who mm -hmm. had kind of done the deconstruction thing. But I was frustrated by the general trend of deconstructing without a lot of meaningful reconstruction of the sense of, hey, I can just kind of throw stones at the church and point out all its flaws. And you can make a living out of that and you can make a lifetime work out of that because there's no shortage of flaws. But I remember distinctly, and I, I, I can't say exactly why, but getting this sense of this question kind of coming to me that really bothered me um, of, are you going to be part of the problem or part of the solution? And I was upset with the church. I had been hurt by the church. I had been hurt by people in church leadership. And I was looking at it with a lot of pain, but just like cynical uh, lenses too. And I realized, you know, I, I can throw stones at this all day, but that's not actually going to help anything. And what would it look like to be part of the solution? And in tandem with that, there was this really frustrating sense of, um, and I say it a bit tongue in cheek, but Jesus seemed to really like the church. It seemed, you know, he described it as his bride. And I, I felt it was a bit disjunctive to say, I love Jesus, but hate the church. Um, and I, maybe that was just having enough theology under my belt to realize like, that that distinction doesn't really work. Maybe you can, and I think you should at times say, hey, like the church has issues. But stopping at that to me just started to feel like the cheap, easy road out. But rather, okay, the church has issues, but Christ loves the church. I love Christ. And so and I'm going to try to love this thing called the church and it's going to be messy. It has been messy, um, but I think it's worth it. And yeah. that's what I would tell to people who find themselves in that situation. It's reminding me, well, it's giving, it's, it's bringing to mind a metaphor for, you know, I'm married to my wife, but then what if I spent all my life just sort of focusing on the fact that marriage as an institution is kind of crumbling or like so many divorces, per percentage of marriages fall apart and divorce and everything like that. And you might imagine my wife being like, okay, well, how about you actually focus on the marriage that you're actually a part of, right? And there's yeah. actually constructive work to be done, even in the context of some of the um, negative things that are going on surrounding. Yeah, well said. Um, what was the other question? Oh, now I have to remember the other related question. I can't remember. Let's change gears again. Okay. Um, okay. Say, let's pretend you're in a coffee shop and, you mm. know, you have a very passing friendly relationship with a barista who makes, you know, the coffee and you chat every morning. And then the barista asks, what religion are you? H how would you respond to a question like, what religion are you? Yeah, I would say I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. You wouldn't add anything more about like, uh, oh, let's go through uh, the Nicene Creed and then we'll uh, <laughs> adding all those uh, extra bits? Um, I think, I don't think I would answer the question that way. Um, yeah, yeah. Mainly because I'm not sure she'd care. Uh, but if she started to ask, I'd be happy to give more clarification yeah. on uh, kind of my background and the way I see things. Um, 
but yeah, I think yeah. I would start just simple. Um, I'm also an introvert, so that might be part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, in terms of denominational affiliation, you you said you grew up in a in a um, non denominational church, which I think you know for those listeners who aren't Christian and might not know how this all works, I don't know. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Austin, but I would probably describe it as something as like just kind of an independent Christian church that does not answer to like a higher governing body. Yeah, um, that's a great way of putting it. Do you do you still belong to a local church and? Is it still not denominational? Yeah. So uh, the answer to that would be yes. It's also a little complicated because I'm currently a student. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm kind of like between okay, two worlds. Yeah. Uh, so I'm from Maryland. Currently, I'm in Chicago mm-hmm. uh, going uh, in my senior year of my theology major. Um, but the church I go to here is a non-denominational church called Soul City. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've gone to different churches since I've been at Moody. Um there are no shortage of them in Chicago. And that's been a great opportunity to get to explore different things. Um, But that's where I go. And it's not necessarily because I think that's the end all be all. Uh, Honestly, part of the reason I enjoy it right now is because in my very, I'm a very academically minded person. I've got stacks of books all around me and I live a lot of my life in my head. And uh, just the way the services are designed there helped me to get out of my head. And, you know, I think the theology is solid for the most part. Um, But that's kind of how I landed there, at least uh, for the time being in school. And then I've been helping with a church plant uh, back home in Maryland. So uh, the church I grew up in isn't the church I go to anymore. Uh, That church actually saw like a church split. It got really ugly. It was was sad. Um, So I'm not there anymore. Um, but I've been helping out uh, with some some friends to get something off the ground there. Mm-hmm. Um, I remembered my question from before, so I'm going to go mm-hmm. back to that. So um, this is going back to that discussion of the fact that most people in our society find it perfectly fine not having a religious affiliation, right? Whether it be Christian or whatever. Um, and, you know, most people in our society seem to be able to live good, moral lives in which they look after their spouses, they look after their family, they look after themselves, they're able to find, um, I guess, let's call it life fulfillment in, in, in their life um, without an association with any kind of church or belief system. So the question in that context for you is, in your opinion, is, is the gospel or is Christianity for everyone? Hmm. Yeah, so I, my first answer would be yes. I, I do think it is for everyone. But I would add in that that I think, um, I, I'll speak for evangelicals just because that's kind of the background that I have. I, I think evangelicals have done the gospel a disservice by often making this false dichotomy of you can either be a follower of Jesus or you're going to be this terribly debased person that's going to lead this horrible life. And then people maybe in college, they stop going to church. And then they realize like a year or two later, like, I'm not a horrible person. Actually, I I feel like I'm pretty good. And some of the best people I know aren't Christians. And so maybe this whole thing was wrong. And I I think when we set Christianity up primarily as like this um, program for moral reform, I think we do it a disservice because I think it's a lot more than that. And I think that people find you know what? Like, if you say this is the only way you can be a good person, my experience tells me something different. Um, and yeah, so I, I think those experiences of people should help us reframe uh, 
the way we present people inside and outside the church. Mm-hmm. It's almost becoming a bit of a trope right now that when uh, a teenager becomes a young adult in the Christian world, that there's like a time of quote unquote deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, have you ever gone through a time that you would identify as a time of like, I've had friends who have gone through a quote unquote deconstruction and have never come back to faith. I've had friends who have gone through a, a deconstruction and then a reconstruction. Um, so I'm just, yeah, I'm wondering, Oh, also you, you're, you're in a theological uh, institute. It's not a seminary though, is it? Um, so I'm in the undergraduate portion of it. They do have okay. a seminary here. Okay. Um, but I, yeah, so they don't call the undergrad a seminary. Right. Okay. So, cause I know that there's a, there's a, a cliche that, um, goes like something like this, uh, seminary is the place where faith goes to die. Right. Yeah. And, um, so I wanted to get your take on, on this whole trope or this fad of deconstruction or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, man, I think there's a lot there and it's a, a question that far brighter minds than I, uh, need, need to be exploring, but I, I definitely did. And, that that story kind of starts in high school, I suppose. So it didn't happen when I got to Bible college. Um, maybe it would have had it never happened. Um, I, I, tough to say. But yeah, I was in high school and it was the, uh, I guess the year between my sophomore and junior years of high school that uh, life got crazy and I really started pushing away from the church, but in a kind of passive way in a lot of ways. So it was kind of a convergence of a lot of things happening at once. So, um, on the one hand, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, within a couple months of that, my sister had been chronically ill for a while, um, overnight lost the ability to walk. So her brain just couldn't register how to balance anymore. Uh, we were on family vacation at the beach uh, when that happened, which is just kind of a traumatic thing for everyone. But then, uh, at that same time, when these things are kind of spinning in my home life, um, was when I kind of alluded to it a bit earlier, but I uh, was really hurt by uh, a pastor I grew up with and just, you know, probably in some ways unfairly held him on a pedestal, but in other ways just expected a certain dignity with that, that office that um, he, he didn't live up to. And it was really painful for me and also to see the way it hurt people uh, that I loved. And so that was happening. And then to kind of add on to it, I was becoming really close with this professor of mine, uh, or not professor, sorry, uh, teacher in high school at the time who was not the first, but one of the strongest outspoken atheists that I'd ever met. And, you know, he'd start sending me Hitchens videos. And I remember at first, like, I just kind of like, okay. And then slowly I'd kind of laugh along a bit. And then all of a sudden I found myself kind of agreeing with him. Like, yeah, like maybe this is kind of silly. And I remember you know, I talked about at a young age, I had that Bible that, had, you know, worn the covers off of. And as I grew up, I had like the teen study Bible and then, you know, whatever study Bible came after that. And I was always just a huge reader of it. I remember one day around this time in high school, walking past uh, the office in our house and seeing my Bible laying there and realizing like, I haven't picked that up in like a year. And at that point I was just growing so apathetic. I was like, so what, you know? And I think the real turning point for me, or not turning point, but the the low point of it, or high, whichever way you want to graph this, I had always been interested in missions work. Actually, at a young age, I wanted to be a missionary. And I'd gone on a lot of overseas trips. And then that year, uh, so I guess the following year when all of this is happening, 
I wanted to go on another trip, but I decided I didn't want to go with the church this time because I just kind of had a bad taste in my mouth. So I went with a secular organization and taught English for a month in Peru and met some just fantastic people who wanted to spend their life helping the poorest of the poor. And none of them were religious. I remember sitting around one night and I'm asking like, Austin, are you religious? And thinking for a second, first of all, no one's ever asked me that question because I was always the Christian kid. You know, even when I switched to public school, I was known for being the Christian kid. I was a leader in FCA. Everyone knew me as that. And in other areas, you know, I was the, the kid that wanted to be a missionary or the kid whose mom was on staff and sitting there and being like, first of all, no one's ever asked me that and feeling like that title doesn't really seem to describe me anymore. And I remember that being a really weird feeling. Um, and it wasn't until the next year when I slowly started kind of asking like, okay, but is this about Jesus or the church? Um, that things started to, to turn back around. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was kind of the story of my deconstruction. Uh, it slowly reconstructed through what I talked about, just drawn by the beauty and uh, the, the vision for life and ended up actually interning at a church for a little straight out of high school, much to everyone's dismay. Um, they had me pegged for doctor or lawyer and I uh, turned down a, a great school opportunity and ended up uh, taking like a small job at a church uh, for about two years. And then uh, they ended up making the mistake of letting me teach once. I fell in love with that and ended up here at uh, Moody to, to try to learn more about all the things I realized I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if you get like a degree, a doctorate in like canon law, you could be a doctor and lawyer because you'll be you go. have a doctorate in canon law. There you go. Uh, I'll come full circle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I think at that point you'd have to, it would have to be an either Catholic or Orthodox uh, canon law. I don't know if, uh, if other churches have large degrees you can get in canon law or not. Not that I know of. Mm-hmm. Anyways, canon law is never the topic of a super interesting podcast. So maybe we'll move <laughs> away from, from, from that. Um, one of the questions I sometimes ask guests, which is, I mean, you already talked about it, but I want to bring it up anyways, just to see, uh, but you know, is there a moment in your life that you would ever characterize as a conversion experience, right? Some, some people have these moments where, you know, the light bulb turns on, right? Um, so I'm wondering, you, you did talk a little bit about the deconstruction and then the turn towards reconstruction. Uh, but nonetheless, I'll still ask, have you ever had a a moment in your life that you would characterize as a conversion experience. Yeah. And that, that language is certainly big in the evangelical circles I grew up in. Um, I think it's probably unfairly put on a pedestal of everyone's going to have this moment that they can put, mm. look back on, you know, where you cross from death to life. And while that might be a theological category, I'm not sure it's always helpful experientially. Um, and, and I'm all for normalizing stories of, I heard, I was talking to someone the other day that was saying, just kind of kept going to church and realized one day that I believed. And I think that's beautiful. Um, And so I honestly don't know if I could point to a moment. I I don't think I could. I think I could point to the the roadblocks where my thinking was challenged and I started um, kind of making turns in different directions. But a lot of it was a slow process that I think I'm only still being able to reflect on in the past. Uh, There's this great quote by Soren Kierkegaard that we uh, live forward and understand backward. And I I think that's very true for my story that in the moment of it, I was often just trying to catch up with where I was actually at. And it wasn't until later that I was able to 
kind of start to piece these things together into a meaningful story. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. A related question to that one is, is one of sometimes people have, you know, conversion experience, that's one thing, but then sometimes people have what they might identify as a spiritual experience or a transcendent experience. And sometimes those two things are connected. I interviewed one person one time who had a transcendent experience that informed his conversion experience, mm-hmm. right? But sometimes those two things are are completely separated. Um, I'm wondering if you have any such experience, like a spiritual experience or a transcendent experience? And if so, if you'd be willing to to share. Yeah, I, I don't think I have anything that will, will turn into a best-selling book or anything or will be the highlight of the podcast. Um, I, I can definitely look back on different moments of just feeling deep connection and being deeply moved. Um, but maybe not in the, the senses of people thinking of uh, like this incredibly supernatural, which, you know, we could get into whether uh, that's a super helpful dichotomy. But um, yeah, I mean, I can think of times in, in different services or even just here in my dorm room at Moody, I remember there were certain times just moved to tears. Um, but but not like a uh, my telephone rang and God was on the other side kind of thing. Hey, one day, one day, one day. Hey, I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah. Um, okay. So here's a fun one. What I, all these questions were fun to me. Um, but what is one thing that you, well, let's start here. What's one thing that you in your informally that you held dear in terms of a belief in which you have since loosened or let go of? Hmm. What a great question. All of these are really great. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. Uh, a former belief I held to that I've now let go of. Uh, this isn't actually something I particularly feel strong about. Um, I, I'm actually quite ambivalent about, but growing up, especially at that school, I remember going to like a museum in DC because they're everywhere and uh, they're all free, which is amazing. And one of the like teachers telling us like, okay, but, but don't listen to that plaque because the earth's really only like 6,000 years old or something like that. Um, and I mean, I was like in third grade. So I was like, okay, cool. Like my, my teacher knows everything. So I guess the people at the museum got it wrong. Um, yeah, now I, I have friends who are passionate young earth creationists and I'm cool with that. It, it's really just an issue. I don't really care about to be honest. Um, I, I don't find it of particular import. Uh, so that's something I've probably just let go of. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully that doesn't make people like, click off your podcast right now. They can go unsubscribe from my YouTube channel. My listeners can handle it. They can handle okay, it. Okay, good. I've had, good. I've had uh, let's just say, boisterous people on this podcast before. So, uh, Yeah, that's not an adjective I get a lot, but uh, maybe maybe something to aspire to. No. Um, yeah, so that's something I let go of. I think, you know, probably a big thing in the past few years in the work that I do on YouTube not that I necessarily held firm beliefs about Catholics or Orthodox, especially Orthodox. Like I didn't even know what Orthodoxy was. Um, but I probably would have told you that there were like Protestant Christians. I would probably even call them Protestants. It's just like Christians. Then there's these other weird groups that might be like slightly misled. And that's kind of sad, you know, uh, but, but we'll, you know, show them a Bible verse or two and it'll all be good. Um, and yeah, I've just realized how silly that is and um, have such a greater respect for, um, the great tradition and yeah, all of those things. So, I mean, that's, 
again, not necessarily something I was dogmatic about. It's just something I was uninformed about, um, but I've been forced to, to really learn mm-hmm. a lot in a humbling way. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some of the first things that come to mind. All right. This one will be a little tougher. Okay. So is there currently a belief that you're holding on to that you wish you could let go of? Oh, that I wish I could let go of. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, this one might get me in trouble. That's you okay. Save, though. You can save it for the private podcast if you want. No, that's okay because I, I stand by that I I think it's eminently logical to wish for this to not be true. That doesn't mean that I don't think it's true. Well, the question uh, is that you actually believe this, but you just yeah. wish that it that it wasn't. Yeah. That. Okay. Yeah. So I think it fits well in that question. Um, hell, yeah. I mean, if I could snap my fingers and not, I don't want to say that too flippantly as though God has designed things poorly. I I trust that God is infinitely more loving than I am and infinitely more wise than I will ever be. Um, But yeah, I remember when Rob Bell's book on love wins came out and the whole evangelical world was kind of coalescing against him. And, you know, I mean, I, it, as far as scholarship goes, it wasn't the greatest piece of work of all time. Um, but I remember one pastor saying like, yeah, I don't agree with him, but like, isn't there something in you that wants him to be right? Um, he's like, I don't think he is, but man, I'd be like, if I, if I die and find out that he was right, like, that's great. Um, and yeah, so I think it's, it's not a belief that I get excited over in any way. Mm-hmm. You're not going to like yell fire and brimstone from the streets, cor- from the street corners. No, but I, I passed them just a couple blocks down Michigan oh, yeah? Avenue in Chicago. Yeah. There's always, always some uh, great people there. That, that's what AirPods are for. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, next time you tell them uh, to contact me and I'll bring them on my podcast. And uh, I, okay, I, yeah. I have that. Um, when I see people on the street corners, like preaching my, my first, I guess my gut reaction is one of like a mix of compassion and like being impressed that somebody believes something so much they're willing to stand on a street corner and do it. But also one of like, I just want to talk to them because what what about their life has led them to, to feel so passionately that they feel like they have to do this? Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, those are great points. And I think I've, I've had those things. I mean, it is not my personality. I don't think it's an effective way of doing things. But th- there's a small part of me um, that is impressed by the sincerity, even mm. though I don't think it's a very healthy or effective mm-hmm. means. Um, yeah, sometimes it is a, a gut check of, do you believe what you say you believe? Because uh, mm. this mm. seems to be an outworking of what they believe. Uh, mm. Yeah, so maybe a little grace towards them. Okay, I'm going to do two more questions in our public podcast. Okay. Two more, two more questions. What do you think, what do you make of the current state of, I guess, the religious lives of people in, let's say, your context of the United States now, right? Um, so obviously, there's a whole bunch of people that are just not associating with the religion at all, but they seem to maybe have some kind of connection. Um, like, I've, I've had conversations with people that will say, oh, like, I'm Catholic, but I've never gone to church, but, I'm, but I know I'm Catholic, right? Um, yeah what do you what do you think about our society's experience of spirituality and religion that's super broad and i'm going to let you take it wherever you want to take it 
Yeah, I appreciate the leeway. Um, it's a big question. I think for the most part, it's a very shallow experience of religion. I think we've often been handed a a very tame God that asks very little of us. In fact, so little that there's no really point in making any response to it. And in fact, I do think that's one reason I think so many young people are walking away from the church and they're, they're seeking transcendence in something like a social justice movement because they want to be part of something bigger than them. And the vision they're given by the church is like so tame and frankly boring, if I can say a lot of the time. It's like, God's asking nothing of me. So why would I give anything of myself to this? Um, which I think we do people a disservice when we do that. I think we try to water things down because we think that you know people are too busy. Um, but in fact, people are willing to give a lot of their lives to the things they think matter. So I think um, for many people, it just hasn't been a meaningful experience. And I, I think that's, that's really difficult. And yeah, I mean, in the United States, I think surveys only show like, 10% of people identify as atheists, but yet I think it's maybe like under 50 that attend church weekly and less that would say they have like a, this meaningful relationship with God or kind of practice um, traditional spiritual disciplines. And so, you know, a lot of it just kind of saddens me that I think people are missing out on, on the fullness and depth of what following Jesus can mean. Um, and I think people have been been given just this, um, I don't have a good metaphor for it, but like a, a plastic imitation of a real thing, um, or like a fast food version of their favorite dish. And to me, I, it doesn't surprise me that people walk away from those things because there's not a lot that's drawing them. Um, and you know, oftentimes I feel like a lot of the work today in post-Christian societies um, saying like, Hey, I get why you walked away from the church, like, or the, the vision of God that you were presented. Um, like I can understand why you walked away from that, but, but let, let's go to the roots of this. I think you're going to find something a lot more compelling there. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question, but you said it was broad. So it answered some question. You answered it perfectly. <laughs> um, so we're going to, I'm going to ask you one more question in the public podcast. Okay. But before I do that, I just want to plug the Patreon uh, side of my show, The Prying Priest. So if you're listening to this and you're not a patron, you're only getting half the show. So every single interview I do, we go for another 45 minutes uh, privately. So if you go to patreon.com slash pryingpriest or pryingpriest.com, then you can subscribe and you'll get access to not only the interviews that are coming out, but all of the interviews that I've previously done, which are now 30 plus uh, interviews. Um, and if you want to hear me ask Austin about who his dream guest would be for his YouTube channel, if you want to hear me ask him about what he feels when he prays, uh, if you want me to ask him about how much intellectual knowledge, you know, he thinks he needs in order to be saved, then you can become a patron and hear all those answers that will be brilliantly answered, I'm sure, by Austin. But before... We let uh, we finish up on the public side. I want to ask you again about your YouTube channel. So we've begun with a bit of a plug, and we're going to end with a, a a plug, but in the form of a question that I have for you, and that is, why is your YouTube channel called Gospel Simplicity? Because you could have chosen and you could have chosen any name about exploring the gospel. Why the name Gospel Simplicity? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And I get a lot of people petitioning that I change it to gospel complexity based on the subject matter, though I refuse. Um, yeah, so the channel started out with the wonderfully creative name of Austin Suggs. Um, yeah, real real thriller there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was maybe a year into making videos that no one watched, uh, save maybe my mother and grandmother. Um, and... I, but I was starting to get this sense of, I just didn't particularly love it being named after me. I had this, uh, I remember I, I came across Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf, uh, who was, gosh, maybe like 15th, 16th century Moravian, uh, who had this great quote of preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. Uh, super uh, heavy wow. hitting there. Yep, but yep. yeah, and I just remember thinking like, you know, if I'm doing this and it's about me, this seems like a really bad reason. Not to say that everyone whose channel is named after them is about them, but it, it was kind of just like a heart check for me. And so I wanted to come up with a new name. And I, my, my goal with the channel at that time was just to introduce people uh, to the faith in a way that was understandable and was also just winsome and compelling. Um, and I wanted to reclaim the the word gospel because it had been associated with so many different things like it's a genre of music um it's mm-hmm. uh you know all these different things uh and so i was just brainstorming different names it's nothing like super crazy but then i kind of landed on that i was like that's kind of cool then i did the 21st century thing of like is the instagram handle available check is the mm-hmm. website url available yep. check <laughs> um and that's kind of how it ended up though now it's kind of shifted the the meaning of it a bit um i'm trying to bring simplicity out of theological complexity um, which is a, a similar thing but it's it's definitely different than where the channel started you've just finished listening to the first half of this interview find out how to access the second half by visiting my website pryingpriest.com we'll see you next time Say, why would you look outside yourself when you have all of the world inside?